Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious, the podcast that answers listener questions about the Bay Area. This week, we're starting down in San Jose. Carlos Urbina used to ride the light rail to work every day. As he'd look out the train window, he'd pass through Silicon Valley, seeing big buildings and busy intersections, offices and apartment complexes. But in the middle of all that, every day he'd also pass an orange orchard, a pretty sizable farm with rows and rows of orange trees and wildflowers. It's odd to me to have like a, to see actually like farm work in the middle of the city. But that's not the only reason it stood out to Carlos. This orange orchard also looked familiar to him. Carlos grew up in Mexico City, but his grandma lived in a tiny rural community in Tlaxcala, a small state just east of the city where he'd go to visit in the summer. I loved to go there as I was a child. And uh, this place kind of reminded me of that because they have like a small plot of land with the view of the mountains. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I got like a little nostalgic for that. Nostalgic and confused. This is Silicon Valley, after all, where land costs a pretty penny. It, it was weird to me to see a farm in the middle of what it seemed like super valuable real estate. I found it very curious. Farmland is all over the state, of course, in our more rural communities. But given the demand for land in our urban areas, how do farms make it work? Today, we're going to get to the bottom of this little orange orchard that can. We'll also visit urban farms around the Bay Area to understand how they operate here and what their future holds. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. 
to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. We asked reporter Dana Cronin to take on Carlos's question and tell us, what's with this orange orchard in the middle of Silicon Valley? When I first talked to Carlos, it was clear he had some pretty specific questions about this orange orchard. Well, I'd like to know exactly who owned that, what kind of products they grew there. And finally, how come they are still the owners of that piece of farm? So first, who owns it? A simple question, really. But after numerous Google searches, failed phone calls, and unreturned voicemails, I decided to go visit the orchard for myself in hopes of finding out. So I drove to North San Jose, just across from the River Oaks light rail station. It's a pretty suburban area. On my way there, I drove past a few parks, some schools, and some big tech headquarters. Finally, I made it. So I'm standing here at the orange orchard that Carlos wrote in asking about. And there are no trespassing signs, which I am respecting, but um, I am standing outside of it and it is just a gorgeous piece of property. Um, It looks to be a few acres at least, um, just lined with these really huge, bushy orange trees that are very productive. There are a lot of oranges on these trees right now. Thanks to the help of my Maps app, I knew the property belonged to the Moitozo family. Their mailbox does indeed say Moitozo. And I'm going to try leaving them a note in their mailbox to see if they're interested in talking. I've tried all their phone numbers that I can find online to no avail. Um, So we're going to try the old-fashioned way, leaving them a note in their mailbox. Within a week, I was on the phone with Alice Moitozo. Hello. Hi, Alice. This is Dana calling. Okay, I'm going to go to another phone so I can hear better. Hold on. Okay. Alice is 93 years old and co-owns the Orange Orchard with her sister-in-law. She's lived in a house in the middle of the orchard for 72 years. Her father-in-law bought the property back in 1915 after immigrating from the Portuguese Azores Islands. The farm has gone through many phases over the past century. Originally, like many farms in North San Jose back then, it was a dairy operation. Eventually, farmers in the region started growing fruit that could be dried or canned, like apricots, and on the Moitozo's farm, pears. This whole area here in North San Jose was all uh, pear orchards. And then when uh, they uh, had to take the pear trees out, because San Jose used to be uh, a canning, uh, uh, a lot of canneries, and they all moved away to the valley, San Joaquin Valley. So uh, my husband and his brother planted the orange trees. The orange trees went in around the 1960s, a time when a lot of farms in Santa Clara Valley were getting out. During the Cold War era, the region saw an influx of defense workers at companies like Lockheed Martin and researchers at Stanford. That's when property values started to skyrocket, and most farms couldn't pass up the opportunity to sell. Many moved to areas like Half Moon Bay, Gilroy, Salinas, and the Central Valley. But the Moitozos stayed, which makes their orange orchard like a little time capsule. The orchard, by the way, is still fully operational. Alice's husband has since passed away, but their son now manages the orchard. 
They used to sell the oranges, but now they mostly donate them to a local food bank. At this point, the 15-acre property is basically a super elaborate garden. Alice says that over the years, she's had multiple offers to buy her land. I had a fellow come to my door one time, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago or so, and he offered uh, me a a million dollars an acre, and I said, no, I'm not selling, I'm going to die here. So that answers Carlos's question, but Dana, I still have some questions, because this orange orchard is in a pretty unique situation, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, most other urban farms I've heard of aren't grandfathered in like that with people coming to their door with a $15 million offer. The Moitozo's farm is definitely an anomaly. Okay, so how are all these other Bay Area urban farms making it work? I mean, it's hard to even afford to live on land here, not to mention grow food. How are they doing it? Yeah, it's a really good question, especially because farming can be pretty low-paid work, and farmers are often operating their businesses on really slim margins. So I went to talk to some urban farmers and asked them how they do it. But before I introduce you to them, I think it's important to distinguish the different kinds of urban farms that exist here. And to do that, I'm going to introduce you to Eli Zegas, who has a really good feel for the urban ag scene here in the Bay Area. He's the Food and Agriculture Policy Director at the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, or SPUR. In observing urban agriculture in the Bay Area for the past 10 years, the short answer is it's incredibly difficult to be a a commercially viable urban farm. Now, we have to acknowledge that a lot of the greater Bay Area is made up of farmland. From vineyards in Sonoma and Napa counties to strawberry fields in Santa Cruz County, ag is a really big part of this region. But for this episode, we're focusing on urban farming, which is a loosely defined term. But I think Zegas sums it up pretty well. A thing that would distinguish an urban farm from a rural farm is, are people going to be surprised when they see a tractor? Would they be surprised to hear a rooster crow? Um, If so, you're probably in an urban or suburban area, and you're not a rural farm. So to understand how urban farming works in the Bay Area, Zegas divides farms into two general categories, commercial and non-commercial farms. So commercial urban agriculture are people who are trying to make a living selling what they grow. And they are in it for the business of agriculture, growing food for sale. So like some of the farmers you see at the farmer's market, for example, they're operating a for-profit business making money on what they grow. Maybe they even have an online store or sell to local grocers. Then, Zika says, there are non-commercial farms. Projects that are really primarily about education uh, or recreation. And those projects are things like community gardens, school gardens, teaching farms. Uh, And I'd say in the Bay Area and most of the country, those are the most common forms of urban farming. Ziga says these nonprofit farms are really important to urban communities because they not only provide green space, but they also help people connect with the land, learn about ecology and seasons, and how to grow their own food. Of course, not all urban farms in the Bay Area fall squarely into these two categories, but it's a helpful framework for understanding how farms survive here. And to understand it even better, let's go visit some farms. 
First up, we're heading to San Jose, just 10 minutes south of the Orange Orchard. So we are in downtown San Jose, um, off of San Carlos Street and Barack Obama Boulevard. And we are at Valley Verde's site. That's Lovepreet Cower, and this is Valley Verde. It's a true urban farm, sitting on a busy intersection across from a 76 gas station and an enterprise rent-a-car. It's a small plot of land, less than an acre, with three long greenhouses up front, a beehive tucked away in the corner, and a collection of raised beds in back. Valley Verde was founded in 2012, and Cower has been the executive director of the farm since last year. They grow all kinds of vegetables. Celery, and that's cilantro out there, and there's chard on the front as well. And that is garlic. It should be ready hopefully in March. But they won't be selling this celery or cilantro. In fact, this is just a demonstration garden. Valley Verde is a nonprofit educational organization. We want people to learn how to grow their own food. We don't want we want to teach them a skill for life. We don't want to just provide like a vegetable and say, okay, like here you go and that's it. Um, it's really important to us that people like learn where the food comes from and how they can grow that at home. Valley Verde offers a handful of educational gardening programs specifically for low-income community members in San Jose. For example, participants in their Shared Garden program basically receive a Gardening 101 class and all the materials they need to start their own garden at home, like raised beds, soil, and seedlings. Cower says the goal is to help low-income families become more food secure. But running these free programs in an urban area like San Jose isn't easy. The hardest part, Cower says, is finding urban land to farm. When they do find available land, it's all the way up in the hills, away from the urban community. We want to stay in either in downtown or east side, like wherever we serve the community, we want to be in our community. We don't want to be far away from them, like all the way up there, and it doesn't make sense. They have to stay urban to fulfill their mission, she says. And that's meant a lot of moving around over the years. Right now, they're in the middle of a three-year lease with none other than Google, who's charging them only a dollar a month. They have two years left on that lease, but Cower says they're already thinking about what comes next. We are looking for um, land for ourselves so we can have a permanent home because it is extremely stressful to be moving from one place to another, especially when you have plants. There's a high mortality every time we try to move the plants while they're still like in their growing stages. It's not easy to literally uproot a farm. So Valley Verde hopes to find something more permanent soon. But until then, they'll continue feeding and teaching their community about the power of local food. So that's one example of how a nonprofit urban farm is making it work in the Bay Area. But what about a farm that relies on what it grows to make money? In Eli Zegas' terms from earlier, a commercial farm. Does that even exist here? The short answer is yes, but there aren't many of them, so it wasn't easy to find one. The one I did find is not your standard farming operation. So we are six stories up in Berkeley. This is Joanna Letts, founder and owner of Bluma Farms in Berkeley. 
We're standing on top of an apartment building between downtown Berkeley and the UC campus. It's a crystal clear, chilly morning, and the view up here is amazing. We have a view of the Bay, San Francisco, downtown Oakland, the Berkeley Hills, the Campanile. Um, So yeah, it's like we can really see a lot from, from here. Bluma is a rooftop flower farm. Let's started growing flowers here in 2019, just a few years after the building was built. The building was designed to support a farm, and it shows. The farm is spread across 16 modular apartment rooftops, connected by metal-graded pathways and staircases. Each rooftop holds rows of raised beds filled with all kinds of flowers. Orange marigolds, peachy red dahlias, flowering white tobacco, and coral zinnias. We have Godisha nigella. Um, This was an experiment with fall-planted violas, which we actually sell a fair amount of, and we sell them as a cut, even though they're really short, and then also as an edible flower. Let's has between two and three employees, depending on the season, who help her with the farm work, flower design, and deliveries. Bluma is a for-profit farm, meaning it makes money from selling flowers. Do you know many other farmers who are operating, like, for-profit farms around here? No. I don't know. I don't know anyone. But there's a reason it works for her. Cut flowers also are higher profit per square foot than just about any other crop I can think of. Bluma has various revenue streams. About half of their income comes from weddings, though that changed somewhat during the pandemic. Let's sells some flowers wholesale, some retail, and she has a flower subscription service. She also hosts private events on the farm. Still, she says it's hard to make it work financially. Being in the Bay Area in a high-priced area also makes it challenging. Um, so, you know, I keep my, I try to keep my prices as high as I can because. I want myself and my employees to be able to make enough money to live here. And yeah, that's still hard. (laughs) But it's important to her to stay here in the Bay Area, where she hopes more rooftop farms start to emerge. She points off into the distance towards some tall buildings to the west. There's a lot of buildings that have gone up just in the time that I've been farming here. Like tall buildings. Tall buildings, which is interesting if you think about, okay, we're the farm on a roof. Like... What are these other buildings doing that are getting built? Um, And what could we be doing with them that we're not? In such a densely populated area where land is such a hot commodity, Lutz says rooftop farming could be a way to get more farmers in the city. Valley Verde and Bluma are just two Bay Area urban farms. In reality, there are hundreds, and each has its own way of making ends meet. Most are nonprofits, some are commercial, but what they all have in common is that it's hard to exist here. Eli Zegas with Spur says, nonetheless, it's important that we try to keep them here. From my perspective, the reason we as a region should want urban agriculture is not about the number of people we can feed, but the number of people we can reach or touch uh, through education and awareness. And that for that reason, we should try and have more spaces where people can learn about food and how it's grown. There will never be enough commercial urban farmers in the Bay Area to grow all the food we as a community need to survive here. 
but teaching people how to be their own farmers, growing healthy local food for their families in their own backyards, that's something worth fighting for. That was reporter Dana Cronin. Be sure to check out the web version of the story for some photos from the Orange Orchard, Valley Verde, and Luma. You can find that at baycurious.org, and we'll put a link in our show notes, too. If you haven't heard, we are publishing a book called Bay Curious Exploring the Hidden True Stories of the San Francisco Bay Area. It features favorite stories from the show over the years, plus a host of new stories written just for the book. It comes out May 2nd, but it's available for pre-order now. Find links for that in our show notes or search Bay Curious Book online. Our show is produced by Amanda Font, Brendan Willard, Christopher Beale, Catherine Monahan, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Have a wonderful week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 